Are you living the good life? When I was 10, I had a friend named Chris. And we lived in the Lake Tahoe area. And if you know much about the Lake Tahoe area, you know there's a lot of people with a lot of money. And my friend Chris and his family were some of those people. He was the kid at school that always had the new backpack and the nicest clothes and the new shoes and all the best toys and all the best music. And in those days, that was Criss Cross, Michael Jackson, and MC Hammer, if you remember them. Chris's family had a lot of money. I remember going to his birthday party. And when I say I went to his birthday party, I mean, he picked me up in a limousine. It was just me and him riding in the back of the limousine, the family limousine. And we watched, back in those days, you didn't watch TV in the car. We watched In Living Color reruns the whole time that we were riding around town, and we drank sparkling cider. And I was like, this is, I am a king. I felt like a king. This was fancy living to me. It was a lot of money. I I remember thinking, money and rich friends, this is the good life. Unfortunately, too many people in our culture still believe that money and rich friends is the good life. That's even in the church where TV preachers will tell you money, friends, security, this is the good life. This is the life that we're to live for. Health, happiness, that's the good life. Even the preachers try and live that way. If you ever want to know what we preachers are up to, check out Preachers and Sneakers online. We know we were made for the good life. We just sometimes get confused about what the good life is. Too many, we we saw more stories this week, of rich, well-connected people who end up in prison, dying alone, dying in really sad ways. This is richness, wealth, and connections do not lead to the good life. In our passage today, Paul is giving us pictures of the actual good life. The good life that God made us for. The one that Jesus lived and then Paul lived. And they are inviting us to live. Not pleasures or living for ourselves, but living for others. Sold out for God and for his kingdom. The good life in the end looks like Jesus. Pouring ourselves out as a sacrifice. Fighting the good fight and living for the crown of righteousness in the future. Let's pray and jump into this passage together. Father, you are good, and you intend good things for us. You made us, and you made us well. You made us for you, for you and for good things. And so we give you thanks and praise this morning. I ask that as we look together at this passage Father, that you would shape our desires so that we want what's really good and not what we think might be good. And would you, by your Spirit, continue your work in us to make us more like Jesus as we study your word together and as we live in community together. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to say welcome to all of you elementary school-age members of our community who are with us this morning. It's really good to have you here. We're going to listen to Annie and Emma later in the service, and I'm excited for you to hear their story and hear what God's doing in them. But welcome. 
We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And just a reminder of where we're at. Paul is in prison. He's about to die and he knows it. And so he's writing a letter to Timothy to encourage Timothy to keep following Jesus. And as Rod shared last week, one of those things Paul's encouraging Timothy to do is to continue to preach the scriptures. So in the passage today, he encourages Timothy by using his own life as an example. I am being poured out. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've lived fully and completely for Jesus. So you, Timothy, you have watched my life. Now you go and do the same thing. I want to point this out. Paul encourages Timothy to live like him because he believes that's what's best for Timothy. Living Paul's kind of life is the good life. The good life is the God life. Life following Jesus, bound up with Jesus, looking forward to life with Jesus forever. I want to make one more comment before I jump into the text too much. We have five generations worshiping together in this service this morning. That's kind of amazing. And as young adult pastor, I think a lot about generational kinds of things. So two comments on generations really quick. First, Paul is living the kind of life that he wants to pass on to the next generation. So I just ask the question, do we do that? Can we look at our own lives and say with Paul, I'm fighting the good fight, so you coming after me live like I'm living? And a second question for us, Paul trusts Timothy. Timothy, who is young, timid, and hasn't developed and fully expressed all of the gifts that God's given to him. Do we give real responsibility to those who are younger than us? Are we giving them real opportunities, real leadership opportunities, even though they haven't fully expressed everything that they might need to show in order to uh, lead well? Are we giving real chances for success and failure to those who are younger than us? Okay, enough about generations. Let's look at the text. In verses 6 through 8, Paul tells us about his good life. He lived sacrificially. He lived completely sold out to Jesus, and he's lived for the crown of righteousness coming in his future. We'll start with verse 6, where he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Here, Paul tells us that he knows his life is coming to an end, and this image of drink offering means a couple things. One, he's saying, my life has been lived poured out to Jesus. He's got all of it. I'm an offering poured out to him. Just like Jesus was a sacrifice, an offering for the world, to the Father for the world, Paul is saying, I've lived in the same way. I'm poured out completely to him. Second, this drink offering thing was a way of saying, my blood is about to be spilled. Paul, as a Roman citizen, would not have been crucified the way Jesus was. They didn't crucify Roman citizens in the Roman Empire. Instead, he would have been beheaded. His blood literally would have been pouring out on the ground at his death. This drink offering image also, in, in Israel's uh, sacrificial history, the drink offering was a second offering. 
It wasn't ever the main offering. The drink offering was the one you would pour out on the ground around the altar when the burnt sacrifice is going up. Or when the peace sacrifice, you'd pour the, the wine around the altar. Paul, one of the things Paul is suggesting here is, look, I've lived my life poured out to Jesus, but Jesus is the main offering. Jesus is the real thing. My life, though, is poured out with his. In other words, Jesus' life and death is the one that makes things right, but God invites all of us to pour out our lives all the way to death, the way Jesus did. We can pour out with him. It's his sacrifice that really makes things happen. It's his sacrifice that changes us. But we're invited to pour out our lives with him, the way Paul does for his life. He goes on, he says, My departure time has come. Just like an airplane has a departure time, or a ship leaving harbor has a departure time. Paul's saying, My departure time is here. And Paul's saying that with a certain sense of excitement, isn't he? Paul has, in, in the book of uh, Philippians, in the letter to the Philippians, he says, Look, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. It's way better to be with him than living here. Even in the good life, it's way better to be with him. So he's got a certain sense of excitement. He's not like Eeyore saying, oh, we're all going to die and now it's my turn. He's more like a kid hopping on the plane to go to grandma's house. My departure time has come. It's time. Or maybe like Frodo, if you remember Lord of the Rings, like Frodo taking the white ship across the sea. It's finally time. When um, we, we, every summer we go to the cabin uh, up at Warm Lake, the family cabin up at Warm Lake. And this summer when we were packing up the car, the car was not loaded yet. The kids are in the car, seatbelts on, ready to go. They were ready about an hour before I was ready. <laughs> That's the way Paul is here. Let's go. My departure time has come. It's time for me to go. And finally get everything that I've been living for. Life as a sacrifice is the good life. Living for Christ and for others, not living for ourselves. So how are you living as a sacrifice? How could you be pouring yourself out for others now? How is Jesus inviting you to give your life away for him? Let's look at verse 7. Living the good life is all about God's faithfulness to us and our staying the course to follow him. Are we living all out for him or are we living for something else? In verse 7 he says, I fought the good fight. A couple things about, about that image, fighting the good fight. A couple things that Paul means is, one, I fought the right fight. That is, I didn't fight the wrong fight. He was fighting for the right things. He wasn't fighting for the wrong things. He fought for Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is going to win. He's fighting the right fight, fighting the good fight. But it, he's also suggesting here that I fought the right fight in the right kinds of ways. It doesn't do us much good to fight the right fight but get disqualified for cheating, <laughs> does it? It doesn't do us much good to run the right race but take shortcuts. So if, if we're fighting the right fight and the Christian life is the right kind of fight, 
then we got to live it in a Christian life kind of way, in a way that looks like Jesus. So when we're fighting, trying to fight the right fight, but fighting with hatred, violence, coercion, judgment on others, we're fighting the right fight, but in the wrong ways. Instead, Jesus' kind of life, Jesus looks like love, peace, grace. That's the, the way he calls us to fight this fight. So fight the right fight in the right ways. Then he says, I finished the race. Paul has run through the finish line. He's in his mid-60s, and he's living the kind of life that got him arrested, condemned, and executed by the Roman Empire. How many of us are living that kind of life in our 60s? Frankly, how many of us are living that kind of life in our 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, all the way? But Paul has run through the finish line. He didn't stop short. When I was, I was looking at finish line stuff this week, and there's all these videos of people who are, like, running, and they start celebrating before the finish line, and then they get passed. And every video, you, you see the look of surprise on their face as they get past, you know, three feet before the line. They've run this great race. They've earned the victory, but they celebrated too early. Paul did not celebrate too early. Paul ran through the finish line. Are we running through the finish line? Then he says, I've kept the faith. Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. To keep the faith means to guard the good deposit, as we talked about earlier in, in 2 Timothy. To hold on to the truth against the lies and false gospels that keep popping up around us. Keeping the faith also means maintaining faithfulness that is looking in the right direction toward the king, not being distracted by all the rebel kingdoms out there. In the same way that we wouldn't call, say, a, a husband faithful if he believed the right things about marriage but kept cheating on his wife, that wouldn't be a faithful husband, right? In the same kind of way, we're called to believe the right things, but then also do the things that Jesus calls us to do. Live faithfully toward Jesus. I've kept the faith. I've kept going in the direction that I believe Jesus was calling me to go. As Rod taught a few weeks ago, also it doesn't mean that we're going to live this perfectly. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, if you fail or sin, that we're somehow not keeping the faith. Because God is faithful to us, as Rod taught, he cannot deny himself. Even though we are faithless, he is faithful. Praise God. But our lives in general are going to point to something. We're going to be faithful to something over the long course of our lives. Are we being faithful to Jesus? So living the good life looks like Paul here, fighting the right kind of fight in the right kinds of ways, running the the race all the way to the end, keeping the faith in ways that point to Jesus. By doing all of that, Paul has prepared himself to receive the crown of victory in the kingdom of God. So how are you fighting the good fight? Fighting the right fight in the right ways? How are you running your race through the finish line? How are you keeping the faith? So how is Jesus inviting you to live all out for him today? Verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Living the good life earns the victor's crown. 
in, in the ancient world, when you won a race, when you were a champion in some athletic event, you earned a crown. So he's suggesting, look, I've earned the crown. I've been a champion. I've done what God called me to do, and now he has laid up a crown for me. He's prepared the crown as a victor with Jesus. He says, the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me that crown as reward on his day. In where, where Paul is in Rome in prison, Nero has condemned him to death unjustly in an unrighteous way. Nero was an unrighteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. Nero is going to have Paul's head cut off. Jesus is going to put a crown on that head. Jesus is, in the the end, going to judge Nero also. Nero thinks he's the judge, but he's not. He's going to be judged. And Jesus is going to reward everyone who follows him faithfully to the end. Not just Paul. He says, not just to me, but to anyone who loves his coming, Jesus' coming. So the crown is for all of us who live the actual good life. Live the life of following Jesus all the way to the end. Paul's language here is a little bit unclear. He says the Lord's appearing. Well, that could mean a lot of things. I think what he means primarily is that the Lord is going to come again and give us the crown then. And if we love the fact that he's coming back to set everything right, then he's going to give us the crown. But I think also it makes sense to think of this as, you know, some people didn't really love the fact that he came the first time. And some people don't like their limousine rides interrupted when he comes in our lives now. But he is always showing up because he has great things in mind for us. A lot better than sparkling cider and limousines and in living color, as great as that show was. He wants us to live the really real good life, the life of sacrifice and the good fight and earning our victor's crowns instead of settling for things like money and connections. That's us settling. The really good life is the sacrificial one. So the big idea, I think, is this. Do we love the Jesus who came on the cross, came for us? Do we love the Jesus who comes today in our lives? And do we love the Jesus who's coming again? Are we living with hope that he's showing up now? Do we care that he's constantly inviting us into the Father's love for him, that we get to participate in the inner Trinitarian love of God? Or are we focused on ourselves and our pursuit of limousines and sparkling cider? Do we love the good life? Paul invites Timothy and us to live for the crown of righteousness, to earn the victor's crown that Christ has already prepared, So are you living for the crown of righteousness? Do you love his coming? Are you living the good life? As a conclusion to our service this morning, it is my pleasure and privilege to invite up a couple of faithful young women who are living the good life. They've been working to pour themselves out for the sake of others, and they're seeing God move in the middle of their circumstances. So I want to welcome Annie Hurdle and Emma Charlier up to share with us. 
while they come up, just a couple of notes for those of you who don't know them. And if you're involved in Sunday school, I know you know Annie. And if you have kids like my kids' age, I know you know Emma. Annie's been super involved in the Sunday school ministry uh, for various ages. And Emma has been involved with, you're at Boise State, and um, you've been uh, teaching in the preteen class. Uh, So these two have been wonderful servants in this community uh, for a while. I just want to share, have them share a bit of their stories with us. So welcome. Thanks for coming up. So Annie, can you start? Can you just tell us a bit of what you've been been through the last couple years? So for all of you who do not know, I have stage 5 renal failure, which means less than 10% of my kidneys work, and for me, only about 2 to 4% work. And because of this, I am eventually going to need a transplant and a donor, which is why Emma got involved. But we all found all of this out on June 5th, 2018, when I had got called from an emergency blood drawn, but then they said I need to go to St. Luke's, Boise, which made my whole family really concerned. When we got there, I got the blood drawn, so then they said, you need to go to this building that's right by St. Luke's. And I was like, um, okay, what is this? So we got there, and it was a pediatric nephrology place. And I was like, okay, what's going on? What's happening with my kidneys? Because I understand nephrology, how to do with that. So eventually it was my turn. A bunch of people came in and out, and then eventually the nephrologist came in, and she started talking to my family, and then says, okay, let's talk. You have kidney failure. This is what's happening. And she drew this giant picture out, which was very interesting because she drew it on, like, a piece of paper that's meant for, like, cleaning and stuff, which was funny to me. And so when I found out, everything didn't hit me until she walked out of the room. And I just remember these tears falling down my face. My whole family was crying. And it was just really upsetting to me because, like, I didn't understand that. I was going to need a transplant, donor, surgeries. So much was going on during my summer. Eventually, I got used to it. I had the surgeries. I learned how to do this thing called peritoneal dialysis, which basically replaces my kidneys at night for eight hours. So I got used to that. But then fast forward to December, I got a giant infection, and it made everything worse. They gave me this medicine called gentamicin. I ended up being allergic to it, which caused me to lose all my hearing. Because of this, I had to have another surgery. So I had up to six surgeries just this year for it. And in February, it got worse. I was hospitalized. But overall, it's been good now. I'm feeling a lot better. I can hear again. I got the cochlear implants. I got to really know Emma these last couple of months. Thanks. I'm glad you knew what nephrology was because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> That's cool. So Emma, how did you get involved? What's your part in all of this? I just have to say I have a nephrologist too now, and I didn't know that like yeah. that person's title. And they came to me and they're like, "I'm your nephrologist." I'm like, <laughs> what does, what does that, that mean? Um, so my story, oddly enough, we didn't know this until we started talking for the service. Um, I have an odd memory, and I can remember things pretty well. So June 5th, my June 5th, um, looked very different. I remember being on the fifth floor of the hotel that I was working at, and I was vacuuming, and this thought popped into my head, what's it like to be a kidney donor? So 
I remember impulsively just stopping and putting on this little podcast that was super informative. What's it like to be a kidney donor? And then that thought stuck with me all week. And um, I kept on researching and researching. And then I went to book club. And at the end of book club, we always end with like a share out, like, how was your week and stuff? And I remember telling my friends, I have this like kidney donor idea and I don't know why it won't go away. And my friend looked up, her name is Anaya, she goes here too. She's like, have you heard about Annie? No. She has kidney failure. You could be her donor. And I remember standing up and shouting and walking in circles saying, what does this mean? And so ever since I've been praying about it, um, a couple months ago, Annie had in the bulletin like this little link where you can sign up to see if you're a kidney donor. And the, the first step was putting in your name. So I put in Emma Charlier, and it's been four months of testing since then. And we have one more test. We have to do a cross match to see if her blood attacks mine. Um, but that will be closer to the surgery date. Also something is when Emma found out that I was the person, she came running up to me. She's like, I want to be your donor to me and my dad. And we both just didn't know what was going on. Like, okay, do you actually know what's happening? And she handed me this card and I was like, okay. I had her phone number and I was like, what are you doing? She was so excited and so pumped. And I was just standing there super awkward. It's an amazing story. Like God's clearly been active in, in all of this. What, Annie, what are some things you've seen God do, how you've seen him at work in this crazy last year and a half for you? Okay, so during February, I kind of like lost a little bit of God because I was really struggling and everything. So when I got back from the hosp- being hospitalized for a week, I just like prayed to him and I was like, okay, God, please just give me something to show me that we're doing this in the right direction. Everything's going to work out. Everything's going to get better. And I just remember opening my Bible. I didn't even flip through it. I just opened it to this passage, Romans 8.18. And it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And for me, I interpret that the pain you have been feeling can't compare to the joy that's been coming. And when I read this, just everything inside of me was, like, lifted. And throughout that, I can find, like, when I see people coming up to me saying, God has this plan, everything has going on I really can understand them saying this like I understand everything and it helped a lot just knowing this one little verse like opened my eyes Mm. and seeing it I also see like the little kids at church coming up to me hugging me saying it's gonna be okay Miss Annie and having them make me cards and I just see it all around and what about you Emma what have you seen God up to in and through you so a lot of prayer has gone into this and Anybody who's met me probably knows that I struggle with a pretty profound anxiety disorder. And I got diagnosed in like kindergarten. So I've been, you know, able to handle it for a really long time. But lately, it's been really hard. So um, a couple months ago, I sat down and just took a day to just pray about this kidney stuff. And I, oddly enough, what fell out of my Bible, I drew a kidney. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on that day, if it looks like a blob back there, it looks like a blob up here too, so don't worry. <laughs> but I, um, what I did was 
while I was praying that day, I looked for every time the word kidney was mentioned in the Bible. So I had a couple haha moments like, what? Kidneys are written about in the Bible? That's pretty rad. Um, kidneys are written in the Bible, written about 13 times. And I wrote on the back of this piece of paper, um, kidneys were often used as an offering before the Lord. The kidney's function in the body is to purify the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can purify us. He is the ultimate offering. So thinking about that more, by losing some control of my ability to purify my blood, so Annie can do, like, have my kidney so her blood can be purified. Um, We're putting more emphasis on God, his sacrifice, right? His dying on the cross is really the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like we talked about in the passage today. Mm -hmm. Yep. Reflecting this morning, I was looking at Psalm 100. I was looking for kidney passages also. (laughs) Psalm 139, which you know, you created my, most of our translations say inward parts, but the word is kidneys. You created my kidneys. Fearfully and wonderfully you've made me. Uh, And he made both of you fearfully and wonderfully. Uh, And it's amazing to see you kind of brought together um, uh, in and through this. And as a picture of, of Jesus, the kidney purifies our blood, you know. That's awesome. A smiley face kidney, that sounds good. What are some ways that we as a community can be praying for you, supporting you through this season? Uh, just you guys have a date for the surgery. Yes. Can you give us the date? And uh, December 20th. December. We have to go down about a week earlier for my immune system to be yeah. completely dropped and to make sure we're completely a match with the cross match. Right. Just a clarification. So with the cross match, I could be dropped if her blood attacks mine. So they say, yes, you are the donor for now, but... Um, yes. That is a scary part. Right. So there's, that's a huge prayer request. Yes. Um, what other prayer requests do you... I think for Emma and I both can speak for this, is having the church be like a safe place for our... Yeah. Having it be like a safe place for our family and I to be able to come here and just like be happy, positivity. We love it that you guys ask questions, but we want it to be like safety and yeah. uplifting. Yeah. I think for myself... This is not what I thought I'd be doing in my teenage years. (laughs) So I've been pretty overwhelmed and um, put a lot of pressure on myself. So if you could be praying for just my mind as I go through this and just my ability to... So this is really out of my comfort zone. I don't like talking about my medical stuff at all. So as more people hear about it, Um, just that my responses would reflect Jesus and what he's doing and not my fear of talking about what's going on. Yeah, so I invite us as a community to be that kind of community for them. So we can be praying, of course, for all the medical stuff that has to happen between now and December 20th and then December 20th and on. Um, Let's be in prayer. Let's be a community of prayer for them. Uh, I invite us also to be, Annie used use the language of safe place. Just a couple of, of ways that we can do that for them. Um, if you are overwhelmed emotionally, 
Maybe process that not with Annie and Emma and their families, but process that somewhere else just to protect them. Let's, let's be a, a safe place for them where they can feel and experience and express all the emotion that they're going to have over the next season, um, however long that season is, but not a place where our emotions are put onto them and overwhelm them. So let's be that kind of place for them. Also, let's be the kind of place where if, if they don't want to talk, so if you go up to Emma and you're like, and you want to know all the details, and Emma doesn't feel like talking about her kidneys today, um, where it's okay for Emma to say, not today. Uh, where we give grace for one another in the middle of all that. So we can just be a, a safe place in that sense also, where they can say, you know, I don't really want to talk about this, or I, don't, I can't deal with this right now. That's okay. Let's be that kind of place for each other generally, but let's be that kind of place for them uh, over this next season. Does that sound good? We can commit to that. I invite you to stand with me. I'm just going to pray for them. Uh, and then the, the worship team is going to come up uh, and finish off our service. But let's pray for them together and keep them in prayer over the next season. So Father, we give you thanks and praise that you love and made Annie and Emma exactly as you intended to make them. When they were in their mother's wombs, you formed their kidneys You made them fearfully and wonderfully, and we praise you that you made them just as you intended to make them. And we thank you, Father, that you have brought them to this place and that you have, uh, by your Spirit, done a work in them so that they are living the good life. They are pouring themselves out for others. We thank you for Emma and the way that she is uh, giving up her kidney for Annie. And we thank you for Annie and the way that she gives up a lot for especially, I think, of the Sunday school kids, because that's my main interaction with her, but the way that she loves and cares for others, we just give you thanks. You are a good God, and we lift up all the stuff that's going to happen over the next season. Father, we lift up all the medical stuff, and that's way out of my hands. I can't even pronounce the field of study. Um, So we just lift all that to you. And Father, we lift up their emotions and their spirits, Uh, We thank you that your spirit is with them, walking with them in the middle of this season. Just the way that you walked with Paul in his prison uh, times, many times in prison. Um, Thank you for the ways that these two are fighting the good fight. And we pray that you would help them to continue fighting the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith uh, in this season. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we're grateful for your presence with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.